Hey, dear listener, before I start with this episode, you may be wondering why there's so much New Year's talk in this episode that's coming out in the end of January. And that's because a lot of it was actually recorded on New Year's Day and, and just been sitting in the can, as it were, waiting for me to get the uh, the second part done. So take her away, phone. Oh, honey. Coming up on today's Tea with Kenny P. Ken revisits Ofuku Cha and this time does it right. Then Ken revisits the predictions he made at the start of 2016 and we check in on how he made out on those resolutions. After which, he reads a story he wrote as punishment for not accomplishing said resolutions. I'm not sure who the punishment is for us, dear listener. Or him. Let's find out, shall we? You know, it might have been a dream or... Might have just been a cheap device for a pretty weak premise. <laughs> Wish I knew. This is Guy Caballero saying, so long and happy new year. <laughs> happy new year, dear listener. Roughly a year ago was the first today's teen New Year's episode. Oh, don't worry. There's no need to go back and re-listen. We'll be revisiting that episode quite a bit today. Also, I just listened to it, and I've got to say it's kind of boring. Dear listener, if you've been stuck with me for that long, well, all I can say is God bless you. Anyway, in that episode, 2016 was a big unknown, and I tried to make that super salty, delightful, lucky New Year's tea known as Ofukucha, which is your standard Japanese sencha, a whole leaf green tea, If you mix in a little seaweed and a salt-dried ume, which is like a plum or apricot, depending on who you ask, it's known as an umabashi, but I couldn't get it in time for the episode, and I tried to make the whole concoction based on an online recipe for, quote, poor man's umabashi. Well, anyway, I drank the tea, and 2016 turned out pretty good, right? We're getting word at this hour of two explosions in a departure lounge at the Brussels airport. No word yet on the cause of the blast, but there are reports of several injuries. On one side, those for a British exit from Europe, dubbed a Brexit, argue that Britain can regain control of its borders and its economy only by leaving the 28-member European Union. Breaking tonight, new indications terrorism may be behind the loss of a jetliner over the Mediterranean Sea. Major health alert tonight, the Zika virus being spread by mosquitoes. The rock legend David Bowie has died after an 18-month battle with cancer. Gene Wilder has died of complications from Alzheimer's disease. It is with a very deep sadness that they confirm that Carrie Fisher has passed away this morning. She was loved by the world and she will be missed profoundly. It is Batman versus Superman, Ben Affleck versus Henry Cavill. Wait, no? 2016 wasn't good? You think maybe it's because I rang it in with a horrendous insult to Japanese Lucky New Year tea? Well, never fear, dear listener. We'll get it right in 2017, because this year I've had plenty of time to track down some umabashi, and I get to see just how wrong I was with my poor man's umabashi. Now, I'm, I'm just going to 
try one of these here on its own. It's it's very salty. Like saltier than your average olive, you know? I mean, it's been a full year since I've tried that poor man Zumibashi, but I've I gotta say, this is a lot like what I remember. Maybe there's some subtle different nuances in the flavor. But I think if you took a prune and soaked it in some olive juice for a, for a while and and then sprinkled on a little extra salt, that's basically the flavor here. Anyway, I got my, my sencha, which is your average whole leaf green. Put in my seaweed and my umibashi. So, it's basically salty green tea with a hint of uh, if someone dropped an anchovy in there or something. But you know what? It's good to finally do it right, you know? Hofuku Cha was, was like my white whale. And it's a nice way to close off that chapter known as 2016. I made some predictions in last year's New Year's episode. And let's revisit them, you and I, shall we? I predicted that in 2016, cephalopods would do something to blow our minds. Well, if you're like me, dear listener, and have a news alert set for cephalopods, then you'll know 2016 was a big year in cephalopod science. A cephalopod is that tentacled variety of, of ocean animals, your, your octopi and whatnot. Anyway, their numbers seem to be on the rise. And I guess they're thriving in the in the warmer oceans. Also, scientists have been studying their eyes, and I guess they can determine by the rods and cones in there that they can't see the full range of color that your average human can. Which isn't so strange, many animals are colorblind. Unless you take into account that many cephalopods have adaptive camouflage, they can blend into their surroundings like a chameleon. So, just how they know what color they need to blend into, well, that's a mystery. Theoretically, they should be like my colorblind dad, who's making a poster of a blue sky with clouds, the whole time being completely oblivious that his sky was the color of, of Grimace, you know, the anthropomorphic McDonaldland inhabitant. So, cephalopods... I'm going to give myself a pass on that one. Prediction number two. Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos will face off in powered armor on the moon. Alas, this never happened. But I think they both kind of cooled off one another, at least on social media. And there was a point when Elon's rocket mysteriously blew up on the launch pad, taking Facebook's billion-dollar satellite with it. And they were speculating sabotage from a possible sniper. I thought the whole thing might escalate into that Bezos-Musk moon armor showdown. But things kind of quieted. Bezos showed off his next rocket, the New Glenn, which looks pretty cool, and Elon announced he's starting a tunneling company. So maybe this year, dear listener, but no points for that one. Prediction number three. Finally, I, I predicted Hillary Clinton would be the next president of the United States. Now, I haven't been keeping up with the news, 
dear listener. So uh, let me just pull up the old news feed here and... Huh. What? So... But... So... So so what happened 2016? Am I in a parallel dimension here? Because I thought if there was a safe bet last year that, that this was supposed to be it. The most optimistic poll for the Trump campaign out of at a 538 had him around 35%. And we can talk all we want about Russian hacking and this whole deal with James Comey winning the popular vote and whatever else. But the way I see it, the fact is, Hillary just blew it. Democrats could always count on the union vote, and, and Hillary, well, while she was hanging out with Katy Perry, well, while Donald was hustling down in Michigan. It's like Hillary and Biff were playing Monopoly, and Hillary started with twice the cash and a few odd properties to start and, and a utility. But she lost the game anyway because she forgot how to play. She forgot to build hotels and was too worried about owning all the railroads. She didn't realize she was barreling towards that luxury Trump hotel and casino on Boardwalk. And maybe I should give her a break. After all, no one else seemed to think she'd lose. Why, Why shouldn't she just stick to her playbook? You know, I always figured that politics in general, especially American and federal politics, had too much money at stake to not be heavily rigged, somehow or another. But both 2016, Kenny believes just about anything can happen. And you know, history keeps trying to teach this lesson. And there always seems to be a few outliers saying, Oh, come on, guys. Pick up a history book. All this has happened before and it will happen again. There are many copies, and they have a plan. Anyway, I try not to get too political on this podcast. It kind of helps when you have maximum disdain for both candidates. But the majority of us were blindsided by President Donald Trump. Will that, will that ever sound normal? Since 2016 shook up so much of what I thought I understood about the world, predicting 2017 is very difficult. But I think the EU will be shaken pretty hard by anti-globalization backlash. And they'll do something really dumb in retaliation. Donald Trump will stand in front of something significant with a banner behind him in a scene reminiscent of W. Bush's Mission Accomplished speech. He's going to make a bold proclamation, declare something solved that'll look increasingly ironic in hindsight. And sure, he could just do what other politicians do and pretend to forget everything he said while campaigning. But, but Trump's a salesman. He's a real perception-is-reality kind of guy so I'm pretty sure we'll get that mission accomplished moment sooner than later. Augmented reality apps that will try and fail to recapture the magic that was the summer of Pokemon Go. I hope I'm wrong about this one because I felt like Pokemon Go was really getting people to go around and interact with their community 
which I think is a good thing, even if it does happen to be over a digital squirtle. Now, I did this thing in the previous New Year's episode, but listening back, man, was it boring. I predicted Rotten Tomato scores for a bunch of movies. And I did the math, and I'll tell you that my movie predictions averaged out to 69%, and the actuals were 62 I've never done the math, but I wonder if an average of low 60s is a safe bet for any year. Guardians of the Galaxy, Star Wars, Spider-Man Homecoming will be fun fan favorites. Wonder Woman, The Mummy, and Alien Covenant will be disappointing. As with any negative prediction, I, I hope I'm wrong, dear listener. I'd rather be pleasantly surprised by an amazing Wonder Woman movie than to be right on my podcast. Greatest showman on earth will win Best Picture and earn Hugh Jackman an Oscar in 2018. Have you ever had a dream that that you um you had you 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 could you do you you want you you could do so you you do you could you you want you want him to do you so much you could do anything? Now we get to the New Year's resolutions, dear listener. I was going to write a 60,000-word novel, lose 50 pounds, and do some stand-up comedy, like in an actual comedy club. You know, I had a co-worker once who would talk a lot about the Friday guy and the Monday guy. Friday guy is a fun-loving, carefree scamp, like Ernie from Sesame Street. Monday guy is more more of a serious, sad sack type. And each of us has a Friday guy and a Monday guy inside of us. And our Friday guy is always hosing our Monday guy. Friday guy could care less about the big pile of paperwork on his desk. All morning he's excited because it's Thai food Friday and he's thinking about his order. And then he has a nice leisurely lunch and passes out the rest of the afternoon in a Thai food-induced coma, only to spring to his feet at the sound of his end-of-work alarm, like like at the beginning of Flintstones. And Friday guy, he slides down the dinosaur and disappears, leaving all the paperwork for Monday guy to deal with. Monday guy can never retaliate, because that's how time works. Well, dear listener, I come to you at the start of 2017, Feeling like a Monday guy. Only it's worse because January boy is like 52 Mondays worth. All this to say I didn't get my resolutions done. Well, I did do the comedy club thing. And even that's kind of bittersweet because I only did it the once in January. The fact that I'm not afflicted with heckler-induced PTSD and didn't die from panicitis only proves that I can do it. I could have. I should have doing comedy all year. I should have a polished 14-hour set by now. And one of those comedy specials on Netflix. And just coasting on the success of my mediocre fat guy skinny wife sitcom. So I guess technically I got that one. How about losing 700 pounds or, or whatever stupid 2016 Kenny promised? Did I do that? Huh? Am I talking to you as a scrawny waif? All shriveled here in the front seat of my car slash recording studio like a a skeleton 
tossed into a flesh-colored sleeping bag? Not so much, dear listener. And you know, I started off so well. We had this biggest loser competition at the office where I work, and I won. Well, I, I, I tied for first. I don't really understand how the whole thing worked. But the point is I did good, and the contest, it ended in spring, which means I did good until August, which is when spring comes in this desolate Canadian tundra. I'm just kidding. I'm guessing it was sometime in April or May. But then I fell off the wagon like a klutzy, dopey dad might on a fat guy, skinny wise sitcom. You know, after getting his head unstuck from the banister. The thing is, you exercise a little, eat a little more salad and a little less cheeseburgers, and you see dramatic change pretty quickly. But then before long, you get diminishing returns. And I begin to realize it's that I'm not likely to finish 2016 50 pounds lighter. And then I kind of quit. And when I quit, I, I really quit, you know. I think maybe I'm more of a take things one day at a time kind of guy. Just wake up each morning with a fresh commitment to make better choices. So I sit here before you, dear listener, just as fat as ever. The thing is, 2016 Kenny thought it would be cute to have punishments in case I didn't achieve my goal. Hey, phone, can you play 2016 Kenny's weight goal punishment? Coming right up. If I don't weigh 50 pounds lighter by January 15th, 2017, I'll post a tasteful boudoir-style photo of myself somewhere where you can see it. It's not going to be anything you wouldn't see at a beach. I mean... A North American non-nude beach. We're talking tasteful here. Embarrassing, but tasteful. Okay, so what I was envisioning in my head was, you know that weird photo of Burt Reynolds, where he's on a bearskin rug? And do yourself a favor, dear listener, don't Google it. But I was thinking like that, except, you know, wearing shorts. Or that time on Seinfeld that George Costanza took those boudoir photos? Something funny. Because I don't know if you know this about me, dear listener, but I'm more than happy humiliating myself for comedic purposes. Only thing is, I made the mistake of kind of telling my wife, and Mrs. Today's tease reaction was, was immediate, non-negotiating. I, I said that I, you know, I kind of promised, dear listener, Talk to the hand. So I kind of compromised and took a quick candid selfie in an undershirt and, and pajama shorts. Not boxers, dear listener. I don't think. But you know, it's whatever. It's easy enough to see what kind of nonsense 2016 Kenny went and did to my body. Like it or not, you can see it all on the website. And if you're hoping for something more, dear listener, all I can say is... You, you should have put a ring on it. Before Mrs. Today's Tea already did, that is. The final thing was finish a 60,000 word novel. I enjoy writing, dear listener, I really do. But with writing especially, I, I, I need to keep reminding myself that done is better than perfect. I've got a bunch of scraps and outlines that I've written and rewritten. And I just need to finish something. I finished a few short stories and 
Maybe I need to work my way up to a novel. Focus on a novella or two at first. Anyway, I didn't get this one finished either. So, uh, so phone, uh, what's my punishment? Here it is. If I don't get the novel finished, I'll write a YA female-targeted short story about a teenage girl whose parents and guidance counselor are trying to force her to go to trophy wife school, and she doesn't want to be a trophy wife. So she runs away and stumbles into a steamy love triangle between a naysaying energy vampire and a hearthstone-addicted chud who never achieves his goals, no matter how tangible. Of course, there's a lot of conflict between the chud and the energy vampire, who both fight for the love of the girl who desires only to choose her own destiny. If I don't finish the novel, I'm going to write this short story in one draft without edits, and I'm going to publish it somewhere prominent, and I'll send you a link, dear listener. So the punishment for not finishing my writing is more writing? That's real imaginative, 2016 Kenny. Anyway, I've been working on this stupid story with its semi-improvisational premise. And surprise, surprise, I'm not finished. Hopefully I'll get this finished by my birthday, which is the 15th. Which is the actual due date for all this stuff, by the way. Which I decreed in the other New Year's podcast. Maybe I'll finish it all off like an audio drama. Maybe I won't. I guess it depends on the end result here. Serialized audio drama is a game I've been wanting to get into for some time. I've even got the URL for it. Earcomic.com It's catchy, don't you think? I should put one of those under construction gifts up there like it was 97. Whether or not I do the full audio drama experience of this story, tentatively titled The Trophy Wife, I'll finish it and post it somewhere that you can read it. And I'll do my best to leave a bunch of the uh, unpolished stank on it. Without further ado, here's the first bit of the latest female protagonist, young adult, dystopian sensation, The Trophy Wife. Oh, and real quick before I go, if I don't put out at least 20 episodes in 2017, next New Year's episode will be a musical. So take that, 2018 Kenny. Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster cream girl. Tonight, show him how much lovelier your hair can look after a luster cream shampoo. Only luster cream brings you K. Dumas' magic formula blend of secret ingredients plus gentle lanolin. Gives loveliness lather even in hardest water. Glamorizes your hair as you wash it. Luster cream. Not a soap, not a liquid, but a dainty cream shampoo. Leaves hair fragrantly clean, free of loose dandruff, glistening with sheen, soft, manageable. Gives new beauty to all hairdos or permanence. Four-ounce jar, one dollar. Smaller sizes, either tubes or jars. Tonight, try Luster Cream Shampoo and be a... Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful Luster Cream girl. You owe your crowning glory to a Luster Cream Shampoo. Well, whispered Charity Altostratus. Ugh. It's foul, replied Luna Graphene, straining to cope with the bitter taste. It says I should expect results in about twenty minutes. 
Pretending to adjust her ridiculous pledging day heels, she leaned forward to hide the tiny empty bottle under her bench. Charity looked around at the other girls, who were all fixated on the live feed in front of them, pretending not to be nervous about their impending presentations. Confident that no one was paying attention, she replied, I hope you can keep it together until your speech. Well, Luna sighed, all I can say is it better work, or else I'll have to read what my mom wrote, she said with a pat of her handbag, alluding to the neatly written cue cards inside. Elegance, grace, beauty, and virtue, said Charity, in her mock princess whisper, followed by an unladylike gagging motion for punctuation, to be given the honor of delivering the pledging day commencement speech, and all the pageantry that went along with it was what many girls dreamed of. To Luna, however, giving the speech went against everything she stood for. She figured her distaste would be obvious to anyone, algorithm included, all except her parents, forever in a state of denial in matters concerning Luna, which is why it came as such a shock that the algorithm would choose her for trophy wife above all others. Above girls like Paisley Quasar, the obvious front-runner for Trophy Wife. Luna remembered Paisley's expression of shock and profound disappointment when the algorithm mercilessly droned, Swooning Pledge, forever sealing her fate as a romantic. Swooning class was a good choice for many, often favored over the rearing or spiffing pledges, a prized suitor for any high two. However, Paisley was a girl with a well-earned reputation for ruthless excellence, the results surprised everyone, Paisley most of all. Luna couldn't help but notice Paisley's shock turned to anger when she received her own results, even though Luna considered herself to be tough, not easily intimidated. She couldn't help but shy away from Paisley's burning scowl. Luna attempted to mentally brush these thoughts aside by reminding herself that she didn't ask for any of this. Her feelings on the matter would all be made clear once she delivered her speech. There was a gurgle in her stomach. She focused on the presentation of the culinarian pledges as a distraction from her tumultuous innards. One pledge was demonstrating her hand-formed nutrient dumplings in a lightly smoked mushroom reduction sauce. Luna had to admit it looked rather tasty. As a trophy wife pledge, she'd presumably learned to cook such things, as well as advanced teachings from all the other pledges. Oh, there's Argyle exclaimed Charity. Gosh, does she look bummed. I hope it's not her soy flay. Argyle used to hang out with Luna and Charity before she was pledged the year before. She used to say that out of all the other pledges, she'd hoped for culinarian because cooking was the most like science. After her pledging ceremony, she quickly learned that culinary arts were as much about making food look pretty as they were about making them taste good. Luna remembered the delicious yet ugly protein blondie squares she shared, and her stomach gurgled. On the feed, Argyle was revealing her soy flay to the headmistress, who was quite visibly disgusted. Hmm, this is the second time you've failed us, culinarian pledgling. I'm beginning to think perhaps you don't deserve the privilege. The headmistress let that statement sink in as Argyle's face turned from sadness to horror. Do you belong here, Miss Argyle? Yes, yes, headmistress. Really? 
You don't think you'd be long more among the cherubs? Through tears, Argyle desperately gasped. No, no, headmistress. Hmm. Well then, I suggest we better not make a cherubish soy flay next time, shall we? No, headmistress. Anger mixed with mortification reddened Luna's face. Threatening to banish someone to the cherubs because of a bad soy flay was barbaric. The sad truth was that Argyle was a three percenter, and as such, her fate was unclear. Unlike Luna, she didn't have the advantages of a chosen trophy wife. Luna had a sudden terrifying thought. The headmistress would never dare suggest me for banishment, would she? She shook the thought from her mind. Not a trophy pledge, surely not. Next were the debates from the charismatics. Their star pledge was arguing that the cherubs should peacefully accept their fate as dictated by the algorithm. The attendants all applauded as though she said something profound. After a rousing debate about the exact nature of the algorithm's greatness, it was time for Luna's speech. The headmistress was announcing her in her typical long-winded fashion. Blah, 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 poise, grace, beauty. Blah, blah, excellence, dignity, virtue. Luna stood. Her stomach rumbled. She walked carefully to the stage's nano-barrier. And now, without further ado, as chosen by the most sacred algorithm, here is this year's trophy pledge, Miss Luna Graphene. There was polite applause as Luna walked up to the pulpit. She opened her handbag and produced the note cards her mother had lovingly written. Her stomach rumbled. It was loud enough that Luna was certain the microphone must have picked it up. <clears throat> First, I'd like to thank Miss Headmistress and the algorithm for the privilege to speak to you all, she began. She looked down at her note cards and had a moment's regret. Maybe she should read her mother's speech after all. A second rumble told her there was no going back. What does being chosen as this year's trophy pledge mean to me? There was a long, uncomfortable silence. Well, I believe I can best express my feelings on the matter like so. Someone in the audience <coughs> coughed. There was a small, nervous giggle from the headmistress. <laughs> Luna's stomach began to tremble so violently. She began to fear her own safety. Her churning innards let loose the most colossal, immensely loud and impossibly long, jaw-dropping fart that's ever been heard. Eventually, the sound died away and was followed by a deafening silence. No one knew how to react. Many assumed the incident was involuntary, 
in which case the girl clearly had a medical condition and ought to be pitied. Some, however, suspected foul play, an action intentionally designed to discredit the pledgling ceremony. In either case, the effect was the same. For generations, the algorithm had in its transcendent wisdom been choosing near-perfect specimens of grace, beauty, poise, and virtue for Trophy Wife. This year, however, maybe the algorithm had it wrong. Perhaps the algorithm isn't so unfallible after all. We hope you've enjoyed the Trophy Wife Part 1. Stay tuned to find answers to such important questions as What's to become of a trophy pledge who farts at her commencement? What's the deal with that Paisley girl? What the heck's a churb? And weren't there supposed to be energy vampires somewhere in this thing? Thank you for listening to today's Tea with Kenny P. Please send your questions, thoughts and feedback to Ken at todaysteawithkennyp.com or at Pelican on Twitter. If you like the show, give it a glowing review wherever you find podcasts. Or better yet, recommend this show to a friend. <laughs>